sounded like camp for a little while. Um, okay, so disclaimer, first of all, uh, I brought a head cold with me. So um, this bottle of water is going to be my best friend here for the next uh, few minutes. Uh, we will, I will be honest with you, it was incredibly difficult to leave a place that we loved for after 11 years. Uh, we weren't looking to go anywhere else. We were happy where we were. We were content. And uh, honestly, it didn't, we came and met. And if I'm going to be honest, honest with you, I passed McDonald's coming in. I figured I'd know the answer when I hit McDonald's going out. And I called uh, Crystal that night as I was headed out, and I said, uh, she said, how was it? I said, um, pretty intriguing. She said, really? I said, yeah, I'm surprised and shocked. Um, not that we would move, but we just felt like we were where God wanted us. And if we began to pray about it, we felt like this is where God wanted us to be. And so it was incredibly difficult to leave, but we were so loved walking out the door. We were so loved walking in the door. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for our friends uh, who will still be our friends. We're grateful for the friends we're going to meet in the future. So I am terrible with names, pretty good with faces. I will try not to call you by the wrong name. Did that to a girlfriend a long time ago. That didn't last very long. <laughs> and um, so be patient with us uh, as we try to figure out who everyone is and, and all those good things, and, and we'll work on and we'll kind of work on that together. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of uh, basically the, I preached this part of the sermon walking out the door. We're going to preach it walking in today. All right. And the next three weeks we're about this thing we call a kingdom dream. So here's the question. Here's the question that we're going to start to talk about a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What's got to happen for a kingdom dream to come true here in Sugar Land? Not that it's not going on now, but what has to happen? That's what we're going to start talking a lot about, a kingdom dream. Now, a kingdom dream is really interesting because a kingdom dream is not my dream for the church. It's not your dream for the church. It's not our dream for the church. It is God's dream for his church, and this is his church. You know, this church belongs to him. We are stewards of what God has blessed us with. Kingdom dreams don't care about personalities. They don't care about agendas. They don't care about egos. They don't care how long someone's been around. They don't care how little anyone's been around. A kingdom dream is focused on God's purpose for his church. And a kingdom dream is what we're going to try to pursue. Now, because I moved from a small town and moved to another small town, there's some tendencies that start to happen. We start talking about kingdom dreams because we do we do life in scale, right? I mean, there's Sylvania, there's Statesboro, and there's Savannah, right? And in scale, they're different. And so when you start talking about this kingdom dream idea, it's really easy to, to go, well, you got to remember we're not picture place. We're not Statesboro, we're not Savannah, we're not Augusta, we're not Atlanta, we're not this, we're not that. And then we start talking about our limitations. You know, in a, in, a, in a little place, you know, you got to remember, we got limitations. We, we, we got limitations. And, and there are limitations that exist because they just exist. But God's dream for his church has no limitations. And so here's what I want you to think about, okay? The only limitations that a kingdom dream has are the ones we put in front of God. I have a friend who used to be in a church in Indiana. The church is twice the size of the population in the town. Now, that's not about a number. That's a kingdom dream. Kingdom dreams look different in church to church. 
And so our job is not to try to be any other place but First Christian Church in Savannah. That's our job. And so we're going to try to pursue this kingdom dream. And so the first thing that we're going to be talking about a lot is there is no limitation. We serve the creator of the universe who is without limitation. He can do anything he wants to do. If God can speak and create everything, God can bless however he chooses to bless. And he will bless however he chooses to bless us. So here's the thing, and this is another thing that you're going to hear from me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. You may get sick of it. You may a lot. It doesn't matter. You're going to hear a lot, okay? Because pursuing a kingdom dream means that we have to make a choice. That all of us, whoever we are, whatever we're doing in life, whatever we, however we feel about the church or the law or whatever, we have to make a choice. And here's the choice. It's really simple. Uh, we're either going to sacrifice our comfort for the sake of God's kingdom dream, Here's the other part, or we're going to sacrifice God's kingdom dream for our comfort. But the truth is, we have to make a choice. Pastor, I tell, I've been telling my kids for all their lives, uh, there's nothing in life that's worthwhile without sacrifice. If you're on a team and you want to achieve success, you've got to work hard. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to get up early in the morning. If you're, I left, I had the privilege of doing devotions for a, a group of coaches this morning at Strother County. That it's it's a sacrifice to get up early on a Sunday morning to go to a meeting and then stop for church and then come back. Everything that's worthwhile in life means we have to sacrifice. And the tendency in our culture is to choose comfort. Um, when I go to restaurants now, well, I'm not in a whole new world, but I mean, when I when I go out to eat, there's like two choices for me, and it's really simple. Because life's too short to go, um, I'm, what's good? What, yeah, it's too short for me. At Mexican places, it's nachos or taco salad. Wherever I go, that's it. At Zaxby's, it's a salad or a piece of grilled chicken. At McDonald's, it's chicken nuggets or a McDouble. Life is about making things simple. but And so I am a creature of habit and I'm a creature of comfort. And sometimes when it comes to God's church, I, we allow our habits and our comfort to get in the way of God's dream for his church. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of set the stage. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what kingdom dreams look like. But I want to kind of give you an overview of what a kingdom dream can look like. A kingdom dream when there's no agenda, there's nothing but what does God want us to do? And how does God want us to do it? Okay, so here's the thing. All right, so we're going to, we're going to take a journey through Acts. Starting in Acts 2, it says this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Day of Pentecost. Hmm. You've heard a lot about the day of Pentecost. I know George Teague. You've heard a lot about the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the church came into existence. And they didn't have, an, they didn't have a meeting. They didn't, they didn't sit down and, and organize themselves. They just stood up and told the truth about Jesus. And 3,000 people accepted Christ. In a day. That's a pretty good day at church anywhere in the world. Now, these people weren't all living in Jerusalem. And so they took this new faith they had all over the world. And we're going to kind of touch on that here in just a second. All right? So what's a kingdom dream look like? A kingdom dream is when you just do what God wants, and you don't do what we want. 
All right. All right, let's continue on. This is later on in Acts 2. They, this is the church, uh, worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, this is really interesting because there was no such thing as church building. 230 A.D. is when historians believe the church, actual first church building was built. So for almost 200 years, church met without a place to go, without a program, without a process. They had communion every day. They, they shared their lives with each other every day. People saved every day. And they did all that without a churchload plan, without a building, without some process for moving people, without some organized structure. They just did what the Lord wanted them to do. And that's what a kingdom Jew is. When we do what the Lord wants us to do, when we put his needs over ours. One more. Acts 4. Jerusalem church. It's, this is the model for our church. Right? I mean, we are an Acts church. That's what we're supposed to be. Restoration movement is an Acts church. This is what the Jerusalem church looked like. Uh, just in a, few, in a few short years after the, the resurrection of Jesus. Many who heard the message believed, as the, as the, so the number of men, we'll talk about that, who believed grew to about 5,000. So, here's the bad news. If there's any bad news about the Bible. If you were a child, if you were female, you weren't coming. Ever. When Jesus said 5,000, he said 5,000 men. At Pentecost, it was 3,000 men. Because that was how he counted. And so historians believe the Jerusalem church, in just a few short years after the resurrection of Jesus, was 10 or 12,000 people. Without a building, without a process, without a program, without an agenda, it was people who sacrificed their comforts, whatever comfort looked like in the world at that time, for the sake of a kingdom dream. And it leads to a question. What happened? Because if you read on after Acts, later on in Acts, you start finding out the church started having problems. If you read, uh, if you go on and you read about the, the, the Paul in the seven churches in Revelation and the prison epistles, the church started having problems. And so the question is, what happened to this movement where, people, where this kingdom was being pursued and people were being saved and needs were being met and broken people were being rescued and shattered people were being put back together? What happened? History tells us this is what happened. And it's, it's really complicated. Ready? People got in the way. People got in the way. People got in the way of God's dream for his church and you know what happens after a while? God's church becomes what? My church. And if it's my church, well then I get to have a say in my church about what I do. And then pretty soon you got all these people who think they own the church. And, and I know you're saying, well, you're talking about 2018. No, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. Comfort became more important than the mission of the church. Pure and simple. That's what happened. 
And so when you read about the seven churches in Revelation, six of the seven, when we read about these other churches in, in, in on throughout Acts, and we see all this trouble, people got in the way. So it leads to another question. Because the kingdom dream is great, but it's got to be personal. So here's the question we need to answer is this. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do you need to do? What do we need to do to make the kingdom dream a reality here in Sylvania? That's the question. You see, because leaders can make plans, and we can do this, and we can do this, and we can change this, and we can change this, and we can keep this. We can do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, people have to take ownership of the dream. And if you don't, you'll have a handful of people working like crazy and a whole bunch of folks in the same going, hey, keep it up. Way to go. Fans go to a ball game. Right? Church is not supposed to be filled with fans. It's supposed to be filled with players. On the field, making sacrifices for the sake of the team. And our team is, is the church, and it's God's church, and it's all about pursuing this kingdom dream. So I want to share two things this morning to kind of put all this together, and, and we'll talk about these going into the future. What can I do? And these are things you're going to hear a lot about over me from here on out. So here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. What do I need to do to pursue to make a kingdom dream happen, right? Here's the first thing. Commit yourself to, being, to living as a passionate pursuer of Jesus. Now, in the Bible, there was no difference in Christian and disciple. A Christian was a disciple, and the disciple was a Christian. Christian is the name you wore to identify that you belong to Christ. And first, and secondly, Christ follower follow the way, became Christian. And then somewhere along the way over history, it was like, well, there's Christians and there's disciples. No, that's not how it works. If you're a Christian, you are a disciple. Period. You don't grow into being a disciple. You are a disciple. If you join, I, I played basketball in college. And it was, it was, so my first year I was the first man off the bench. That was awesome. My second year I started, I was the first guy back to the bench. That was terrible. My third year, I had uh, sun grip issues, injuries, and some other stuff that we won't talk about. And my last year, I started again. Had to go to practice every day. Had to work hard every day. And you know what I learned when I went and started? I had to work as hard as the guys who were in front of me. Because that's what makes the team better. So it is my responsibility to live as a passionate pursuer of Jesus. And so here's what a passionate pursuer looks like. Three, there's only three traits. Ready? A person who's actually following Jesus, I mean actually committed to following Jesus, a person who's being changed by Jesus, and a person who's committed to the mission of Jesus. That's it. it it's simple. If you study the Bible, and we're going to dive into these things down the road somewhere, that's what a follower is. That's what a passionate, a fully devoted follower, a disciple, whatever word you want to use, you're actually following Jesus, you're being changed by Jesus, and you're committed to his mission. That's it. That's, that's, a, that's a disciple. You don't have to be perfect. Uh, we all have issues and problems, but that's all it takes. That's it. You want to pursue a kingdom dream? You want to take ownership of it? Live as a passionate pursuer of Jesus. Now, the important part of those things as it pertains to today is the word mission. Committed to the mission of Jesus. Because here's what you need to understand. Here's what we all have to understand. And I'm sure you know this. 
When you accept Christ, you accept responsibility for his mission. His mission becomes your mission. Our mission. It's his church. But it's our mission. It's not what my mission for the church or George's mission for the church or, or Vince. It's our mission as established by Christ. You want to pursue a kingdom dream? Live like you actually love Jesus. Live like you take him seriously. Follow him. Allow him to change you and pursue his mission. It sounds really simple because on paper it's really simple. Life just gets in the way of, of all those things. So that's the first thing. We're going to talk a lot about that uh, off and on and in the future. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. This is my favorite. You need to change your focus. Now, I can't fix anything. Yesterday, we were putting curtains up at our house, and Mark and Jane Smith might have saved our marriage yesterday because I can't do anything like that. And we're frustration was starting to creep in when they showed up, and I was like, I'm out. And it all worked better. You know, we can't do everything, but we can't pay attention to the things we can pay attention to. Here's what I know. It's really hot in Sylvania. And loving the nap. But with that said, if you don't change the filter on your heat pump in your house, your house is going to have problems. If when you get the oil change in your car, and if you and, and if this is you, because I know people like this, you should not get attached to your oil, oil filter in your car. Don't name it. Don't get spec. It needs to change when you change your oil, because if you don't, eventually your car is going to have problems. And it's not going to operate the way it does. And so in the church, when we don't have a proper filter, the church doesn't operate the way it's supposed to. And so we have to either change our filter or we have to make sure we understand what our filter is. And here's the filter for the church. The same thing I said when I came and met with uh, leadership, and it's really simple. It's really simple. This is the filter. Everything goes through. Lost people are the most important people on the planet. Period. I believe with all my heart, there's no, there's not a person on the earth that can make change that truth. Lost people are the most important people on the planet. Because lost people on the planet, only people on the planet going to hell. Now, it doesn't mean they're the only important people. Um, the first time I talked about this, I got some pushback on this, and I just sat down with the guy and said, look, here's the deal. Who are the most important people in your life? And he told me, who are the most important people? So here's, for me, it's really simple. Last name Aiken, you are, in, you are above a whole bunch of other people. And if you're Riley Jane Aiken, you're above all of them except for Christian. My kids have slid way on down the category. She's moving way on up fast. Okay, that's just how it works. There is a something in us that we establish the relation of Christ. But there are a whole lot of other people important to me. I got family that are important to me. I got friends who are more like family than friends. I got family who are more like friends than family. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And there's a lot of people important to me. But there are a handful of people that are more important than anyone else on the planet. Anybody else? I'm going to speak to you. Now, here's the thing. Don't feel guilty about that because God put that in you. God put a relational priority in you because 
when Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing we, we can do? Right? When Jesus was asked, of all the things that we can do, what's the most important thing? Jesus said, really simple, something that you hear a lot from us. Love God, love everybody that's not God. Love God, love people. That is the most important thing any human being can do. Love God, love people. But what God, what Jesus did is he established there was a relational priority. God comes first. More important than your spouse, more important than your granddaughter, more important than your kids, more important than your friends, more important than your job, more important than your team. More important than anything, anyone, whatever it is, God comes first. God established a relational priority. It is his great idea that there's a pecking order in our life. His great idea. What gets fun is when you get to the love people part. Because Jesus established the relational priority there. This is what Jesus said. Son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I love that. It's simple. Why are you here? Came to seek and save those who are lost. Doesn't mean he didn't care about people. Jesus fed people, ministered to people, healed people, raised people from the dead, did all sorts of things, cared for people, comforted people. I mean, Jesus is the perfect picture of everything that's right in the world. But he said, my relational priority are lost people. Period. A kingdom dream is our church understanding that our relational priority, our filter, is that lost people matter more than anybody else. Doesn't mean other people don't matter. Doesn't mean we can't minister to people's needs. But let me just say it this way. What if we just take all the time to take care of each other while the people around us go to hell? Is it worth it? The church in America is crumbling at a record pace. Um, a committed Christian today, by definition, is someone who goes to church one out of six Sundays. If I showed up one out of six Sundays, George would be preaching here pretty quick. You go to work one out of six days, and you see what happens. Unless you own the place, and I guess you can do whatever you want to do. But God owns this place. But that's committed. You know why? Because we decided that that's easier and more comfortable for us. And we have all these other things we have to do anyway. This filter that lost people are more important than anyone else has to exist inside of Jesus. And it means that everything we do, as you have done for years moving forward, is that everything filters through lost people. Life is about change, things change in life, and things will probably change at some point in time. Whatever that looks like, I have no idea. But the filter for everything is lost people. And if it's not, this is, I've said this a bunch, so I'm going to go ahead and get this, say this now, okay? If there's anything in this church that's more important to you than a lost person, you need to reestablish your priorities. Because lost people matter more than anybody. With that said, this is not a sprint. It's a race. It's a race to the finish line. But it's not a sprint. You know, I love watching the Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. They're my favorite. But there, there are some things about the Summer Olympics I really like. I hate watching marathon runners. Because it's like, woo, 120 miles. Great. I'm tired. Right? I mean, just watch it. 
I love watching squirrels. You know why? Because they're always fat. They're fat. So we like everything fat. We like everything instant. Pursuing the kingdom dream is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It takes training. It takes time. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes putting the dream above everything else. So I'm going to close with you with these words. This is what Paul says. Uh, this is the message. It's 1 Corinthians 9. talks about this race. He says, You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. I love that. Now, I am going to get in trouble. So I'm going to go ahead and get that up front. Participation trophies are really difficult for me. I'm just being up front and honest. I don't, I'm not against them. They're just hard for me. Because growing up, I learned how to win and I learned how to lose. And I learned sometimes you don't win. I played on a basketball team where I was one of the best five, and then I wouldn't. And then I was, and then I wouldn't. My son played soccer in college, team captain, three-year starter, went to college, started one game. Senior year, didn't play much. But he learned the value of being on the team. In a race, everybody runs, everyone trains hard, everyone does. There's only one wins race. We're not trying just to win. We're trying to win. And what is at stake are lost people. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes their fade year after one that gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving everything I've got. That's lots of living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping and telling everyone else all about it and then missing out on it. So we're going to talk about what that looks like in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about this idea of an impossible world that should not exist for us when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's nothing impossible when it comes to God. There are no limitations when it comes to God. And I don't know what it looks like in Sylvania, but I think we'll recognize it now. And we'll recognize it for what it is. We're in a race. Take time. We've been in the race for a long time. We're going to continue in the race. So, let's run the race. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, grateful um, that your church is bigger than our church. That um, your mission defines us. That your purpose is just to see us follow you. Stand with me. We're going to have a time.